All right, and welcome along Tuesday night edition Philip Ward Show. You know, I always say on this program that one of the hardest things to do in this country is to be a conservative. Well, we have Democrats who are going to stab us in the front, and then we have rhino Republicans, Republicans in name only, the Romneys, the Sasses, the Murkowskis of the world. More locally here, uh, we have a congressman, Chris Jacobs, who ain't nothing but a Democrat, let me tell you there. We have those rhino Republicans who stab us in the back. So therefore, we don't know who we can trust. That's why we don't trust the federal government. Not one bit. But tonight, though, I, I have no criticisms of those rhinos, especially in the United States Senate, because the 50 Republicans that are there, that includes Romney and Murkowski and Collins and Sass, all of them were, McConnell for, 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 for his purpose, all of them were united. They did the right thing today and they deserve praise for that. Axios, I think, describes it well. Now, we were talking about the For the People Act, SR1, which would federal, which would totally federalize our national elections, right? It would give Democrats the, the, the uncontrolled power to cheat in every single election that we ever have in this country. Republicans stepped up today. They, they made sure that this was never ever going to be put into law. So, Axios writing, Senate Republicans block Democrats' sweeping voting rights bill. Even, by the way, even Joe Manchin and Cinema uh, uh, voted for it for the Democrats, though. So, Senate Republicans today filibustered Democrats' signature voting rights bill, denying it the 60 votes needed to advance the bill and start debate. Why it matters, they write. It's an expected but significant blow to Democrats' hope of passing a sweeping federal elections overhaul to combat a wave of new... Gotta see, this is, now remember, Axios is left-wing, so that's why they got to put this in there. A wave of new voting restrictions. You know how bad it is to show a voter ID to vote, right? In Republican-led in Republican states, though, right? It's all around the state. Every single state should have voting ID. It's really not that difficult. So, the far-reaching bill was co-sponsored by every Democratic senator except for Joe Manchin, who called it too partisan and introduced his own compromise bill, which was promptly rejected by Republicans. Manchin ultimately voted yes to move the bill forward and allow debate, even though he opposes the original legislation. He said in a statement he wanted the Senate to debate his updated voting legislation as a substitute amendment to ensure every eligible voter is able to cast their ballot and participate in our great democracy. And it was so important that even Vice President Kamala Harris presided over the 50-50 final vote. Uh, the For the People Act, which the House passed in March, obviously overwhelmingly controlled by Democrats. Well, I say overwhelmingly, it's only like four or five votes at this point in time republican i tell you republicans follow the strategy follow gingrich's template from 1994 individual liberty economic opportunity limited government personal responsibility security at home and abroad and guess what republicans congratulations you will have the house of representatives so 
Uh, the bill that the House passed would create national standards for early voting and voter registration and partisan gerrymandering, overhaul campaign finance and ethics laws, restore voting rights to felons who have completed their sentences and more. If you ask the Democrat Party, they want people who are in jail currently to vote for goodness sakes. Uh, Republicans' refusal to allow the Senate to even debate the bill is likely to ramp up pressure on moderate Democrats to support eliminating the 60-vote filibuster, a move that Manchin and then Senator from Arizona, Kristen Sinema, oppose. Biden and Democrats have cast the need to pass federal election reform as a generational civil rights issue, while Republicans have condemned the Democratic efforts as an unconstitutional power grab. Both the filibuster and voting rights are sure to be flashpoints in the midterm elections. And, and, and that's enough of this. I, it, you get the point. I just want to make sure I get all the news for you so it doesn't sound like it's partisan coming from me. I think this was a great move, though, by the Republican Party. If they allowed this, if any single Republican voted for this, immediately they should have been primary there's part of me actually that i i can't really believe that that romney said uh, uh i can't allow this and then murkowski and collins too i i think there was news that was coming throughout the day that uh kamala harris was talking behind the scenes to lisa murkowski i'm not sure if they see her as the weak link in the republican uh senators you know, ben sass as well i mean what when does when does ben sass actually do anything that's good for this country uh, now, oh, 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 Charles E. Schumer was furious today, furious, said this, there's a rot, a rot at the center of the modern Republican Party. Should the United States Senate even debate how to protect the voting rights of our citizens? There's only one correct answer. We'll see if our Republican colleagues choose it this afternoon. McConnell but, you know, hitting back from that says the, the Senate is no obstacle to, to voting laws done the right way, he said. Uh, I've helped write legislation regarding our democracy that has soared through this chamber on huge bipartisan margins. The Senate is only an obstacle when the policy is flawed and the process is rotten. And that's exactly why this body exists. So, like I said, you know, I'm not going to harp on it for too long. It's a vote that we expected and hope from the Republicans to, to, to do this for conservatives and Republicans, because guess what? If this had passed, Democrats were going to continue to win elections, not fair and square, but they were going to cheat to make sure that they win these elections. Great move. This is a, don't make no mistake about it. I mean, we've had some days where, where we've been terribly upset at republicans maybe even more so than democrats on some days but today is a day that 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 you should not go out there and start slating republicans and criticizing them the united states uh, senate republicans were strong today and they deserve praise for that that's why i wanted to get that in there all right now one u.s senator okay so you would think, if you listen to the mainstream media and the Democrat Party, those racist, doggone, rotten-to-the-core Republicans, right? They're so racist. So it wouldn't surprise you if a United States senator was a Republican, was a member of an all-white beach club, right? That wouldn't surprise you. But what if I were to tell you that there's a Democrat senator who is actually a member of a white only beach club 
Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island is facing new scrutiny over his decades-long membership in an allegedly all-white private beach club. Now, hold on a minute here, because that sounds awfully racist, if you ask me. Whites only. And this guy, Sheldon Whitehouse, and he was asked about it, by the way, and he said this. This is his best answer, right? Uh, he said that, it's just a, you know, it's just a long, it's just a long-standing tradition, you know, here in Rhode Island. He says, well, all right, well, aren't you still contributing to it? And by the way, this is the same guy, right, who says he's a progressive and he's a critic of, you know, systemic racism, right? Uh, the confrontation uh, began when White House was confronted by a local reporter on uh, last week, Friday, uh, who published a video with an article on Saturday. Uh, detailing what occurred after asking the sen about the senator's membership at Newport-based Bailey's Beach Club. It's called part of the Spouting Rock Beach Association. Uh, quote, I think the people who are running the place are still working on that, and I'm sorry it hasn't happened yet. That's what, what uh, White House's response was, right? And then asked if such clubs should continue to exist. He said this, it's a long tradition and there are many of them. Now, how does that answer the question if they should exist or not? So obviously, Sheldon Whitehouse is in favor of white-only beach clubs, and here he is contributing and being a member of it. He says, and I think we just need to work our way through the issues. And he was out, and he was out of there quick. Oh, whoa, whoa, I got to get myself out of this one. This ain't going to make my image look good, but, but it's the Democrats and the mainstream media, so they don't care. They can do whatever they want. Um, now, White House, uh, his wife, Sandra's her name, one of the three largest shareholders in the club. Go figure, right? When the Rhode Island senator, and this, by the way, is in the New York Post, they report on this and write this. When the Rhode Island senator, who was first elected in 2006, initially ran for office, he disavowed his membership and pledged to quit the club. Well, it's now 2021, and guess what? Yep, Sheldon Whitehouse is still, and it seems to me like he's a proud member of this whites-only beach club. But this, I mean, this shouldn't surprise you, though. Racism, the Democrat Party and racism? Come on, they go hand in hand. The Democrat Party is the party of slavery, racism, and the KKK. How about a prominent Democrat saying things like this? Poor kids are just as bright and talented as white kids. Yeah, a Democrat said that. Oh, that's right. It happened to be Joe Biden. Same Democrat politician, Joe Unity Biden, who now leads our country, by the way, said this. You don't know my state. My state is a slave state. You can't go into a 7-Eleven without a slight Indian accent. How about he said this about Barack Hussein Obama? Oh, he's the he's the first articulate, uh, mainstream African American, and and bright and and clean and a and a nice looking guy. You know that's that storybook. How about in 2012 when he said they're gonna put y'all back in chains, right? Or how about from last year when Joe Unity Biden said if you don't know whether you're for me or for Trump, then you ain't black. 
All of that came from Joe Unity Biden. I mean, that sounds a little racist to me. Go back to the 90s when he said, Madam President, there are, talking about blacks, by the way, there are predators on our streets. All of that is from Joe Biden. The Democrat Party is the party of racism, slavery, and the, the KKK. How about Robert Byrd, who was a grand Kleagle for the KKK, a prominent recruiter, senator from West Virginia. And by the way, in West Virginia, I know, having driven through there and seeing the signs, there's still highways and everything that are named after Robert KKK, Robert C. Byrd. By the way, guess who eulogized racist Robert Byrd? Oh, you got it, Joe Unity Biden. On top of that, Hillary Rotten Clinton said as well that that he was he was her idol. You know, he 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 taught her is what she said. Unbelievable, his her uh, her mentor. Now, on the topic of Joe Unity Biden, right? How about this in the Daily Mail today? Biden will allow at least. 10,000 deported asylum seekers to return to the U.S. already deported. Whoa, 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 wait, whoa. Don't go too quick. We want you to come back in here and vote for us. Migrants, by the way, whose claims were dismissed under Trump will be allowed back in from Mexico. The Daily Mail writes, Thousands of asylum seekers whose claims were dismissed or denied under the Trump administration, uh, their policy that forced them to wait in Mexico, remember the Remain in Mexico policy implemented by Trump, uh, for their court hearings, will be allowed to return for another chance at humanitarian protection. The Homeland Security Department announcing that today. Registration begins Wednesday for asylum seekers who were subject to the Remain in Mexico policy and either had their cases dismissed or denied for failing to appear in court. Now, we've been through this before. Donald Trump's talked about it. When, they're go when they come to our country under catch and release, right, Barack Hussein Obama and, and Joe Unity Biden, wow, that was such a great policy. Think about it. Catch and release. We catch you. Then we release you into the United States. So then they say, oh, and by the way, here's your court date. You're going to have to come back and see if you can stay in the country. What? You'd have to be an idiot. Your goal, you've already reached what you wanted to do. Your objective, you got it. Why would you come back and risk that in a court date? Under the criteria, it is unclear how many people will be eligible to be released in the United States pending a decision on their cases. This is a senior Homeland Security official who uh, said that on a... Um, uh, under the condition of an, uh, an, 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 you know, remaining anonymous. Can't say the word for goodness sake. But there's this woman, Michelle Klein Solomon, the International Organization for Migration's Director for North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. Imagine a title like that. Oh my God. She told the AP that she expected at least 10,000. Her organization works closely with the administration to bring people to the border, ensure they test negative for COVID before being allowed into the country. The, esti the estimate, though, seems awfully low. There are nearly 7,000 asylum seekers whose cases were dismissed, vast majority in San Diego, and more than 32,000 whose cases were denied, mostly in Texas. This is according to Syracuse University's Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse. It is unknown how many cases were denied for failure to appear in court. 
So basically, open borders, baby. You better believe it. It is alive and well. Again, excuse me. Sorry, I got at some point in time, I got to make sure to silence my cell phone. But it is alive and well in the Biden administration. Anyone and everyone come to the border. You got it. You're coming in. And then even after you get deported, you get another bite at the apple. You get another chance. It's unbelievable. And this guy, this moron, right? He's trying to blame Trump for the border crisis. When we've seen history being made, historic records of illegals coming into our country, blaming Trump for it. It is very much the Biden border crisis. And guess what? As far as the mainstream media goes, they completely ignore it. And, um... Now, this was yesterday in Fox News. Listen to this headline, all right? New York Times, effectively known as the New York Slimes, scribe Maggie Haberman can't quit Trump and largely ignores Biden. Now, this was written by uh, Brian Flood for Fox News. He writes this. New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman serves as a Washington correspondent for the liberal newspaper, but she appears far more focused on the last White House occupant rather than the current one. Now, Haberman was frequently lauded in the mainstream media for her coverage of the Trump White House with reports on palace intrigue, alleged Russia collusion, and other anti-Trump storylines. But she has barely covered President Biden since he took office. Here's the facts behind it, too. Now, Haberman, who's a propaganda CNN news political analyst, has written or contributed to more than 100 stories since the day Biden took office. Only eight of those stories were chiefly about Biden. The small number of Biden-related stories include pieces about the president's reaction, or lack thereof, to embattled New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. At least 70 stories Haberman had a hand in since Biden took office have been about Trump, not including other pieces about key figures from his world, such as Pence, uh, Rudy Giuliani, dozens of them concerned Trump's second impeachment trial shortly after he left office. Media Research Center Vice President Dan Gaynor says the anti-Trump media have only one arrow in their quiver, and it's aimed directly at the Donald and his supporters. They simply can't survive without attacking him. Now, in February, the New York Slimes announced Haberman would transition from all things Trump to a new role on the investigative and enterprise team in the Washington Bureau. The liberal paper claimed she would bring her wide knowledge of Democrats as well as Republicans to help land stories and projects about the new administration. The second part of her new gig according to the New York Slimes, would be to continue with the politics desk to track the post-Trump landscape and the early rumblings of the 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential campaign. Now imagine having a title like that as well. Oh, almighty goodness. Four months later, Haberman has largely failed to deliver on the first part of her role. The New York Times has published more than 40 stories featuring Haberman in some capacity since the paper claimed she would cover the new administration. But only five of those 40 stories have been about Biden. The majority has focused on Trump and his political allies. 
Haberman has continued to rely on Trump for com uh, for content. Gaynor says this: Times writers are among the worst. They not only hate Trump, they also have to placate the radically leftist readership. So they seldom even bother trying to go after the Biden administration. We are nearly seven months after the election, and the Times just can't let Trump go. They just can't quit Donald Trump and Maggie Haberman in particular. Now, Sean Hannity, Fox News and talk radio host, writes an op-ed today about Maggie Haberman in the New York Times and, I, and has questions that need to be answered. Uh, he writes, the New York Times is corrupt and abusively biased. Like so many other media outlets, the so-called paper of record has never been held accountable for stalking Donald Trump and his family. All, by the way, while spreading lies, conspiracy theories, and baseless smears against the 45th president of the United States. Christopher Steele, remember the former uh, MI6 British spy who wrote the Hillary Clinton bought and paid for Russian dossier. He writes this, Sean Hannity does. Christopher Steele's dirty dossier, which was funded by the Clinton campaign and the DNC under the guise of opposition research, was salacious and unverified. That's not Hannity's words, not Philip Ward's words. Those are from former FBI director James Comey, said the dossier is salacious and unverified. Both Steele and his subsource, and remember, we've gone through the subsource and his um his leftist leanings and how you know he was involved with the Democrat Party through and through. Steele and his subsource, though, claim that the material and the sorry Brookings Institute, I got remembered uh, where the subsource came from, claim that the material in the dossier was unverifiable. Even worse, though, according to multiple reports, the dossier was part of an official Russian disinformation campaign. Well, now wait a minute. That completely eliminates Hillary Rotten Clinton saying that it was Vladimir Putin's goal to make sure I didn't win the White House in 2016. Well, wait a minute. If you were utilizing a Russian dossier that was part of an official Russian disinformation campaign, wow, Hillary, wasn't it you who was colluding to make sure you win the election? Not the other way, not Donald Trump, like the media peddled for four, five long years? Nevertheless, he writes, this opposition research was dispersed to the media, elected officials, and the FBI. It was then fraudulently used as the basis of a FISA warrant against a Trump campaign associate, that being Carter Page, to spy on the Trump campaign, the Trump transition team, and the Trump presidency. Now he says, instead of investigating the shocking government abuse of power at the FISA court and the suspect nexus between the Clinton campaign and the Steele dossier, the so-called journalists at the New York Slimes went all in on the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. New York Times columnist Ben Smith claimed the broad outline of what Steele was writing is unquestionably true. Wrong. That's false. He never verified it. He had no idea if the dossier was true, which it proves. And even as the New York Times finally admitted last year, oh, it was just Russian disinformation the whole time. Maggie Haberman, for uh, what she put uh, her contribution for this, and several of her colleagues at the Times, even won a Pulitzer Prize for pushing Russian disinformation. 
He writes, the New York Times loves to ask questions, but now there are important questions they need to answer. Number one, does the New York Times acknowledge that Steele's dossier was bought and paid for by the Clinton campaign and filled with Russian disinformation? Does the Times now believe premeditated fraud was committed on a FISA court when officials used the dirty Russian dossier as the bulk of evidence to obtain a warrant against a Trump campaign associate? Will they finally admit that the Trump campaign, Trump transition team, and the Trump White House were all illegally surveilled because of the premeditated FISA fraud? Will the Times ever demand that federal officials correct the record at the FISA court as required by law? Will the Times ever hold anyone in our federal government accountable for this abuse of power? With Joe Biden now in office, will the so-called journalists at the New York Times stalk Biden in the same way they stalked Trump? If any of the Trump children made millions of dollars from Ukraine, Russia, China, Kazakhstan without any expertise while their father was in office, will the Times investigate the obvious conflicts of interest and the potential for a pay-to-play scheme? When Joe Biden told the story about leveraging $1 billion tax-paying U.S. dollars unless Ukraine fired a prosecutor investigating Burisma Holdings and Hunter Biden, was that a quid pro quo? Was, that any, was any of that likely illegal? When Hunter Biden admitted on Good Morning America that he had no experience in oil, gas, or energy, by the way, he never, didn't even speak the Ukrainian language, and yet he was being paid millions of dollars for zero experience? Is that likely unethical and possibly illegal? Will the Times conduct a full investigation? No? Well, what if it was Trump? What if it was a Trump? Will the Times ever cover Biden and his family with the same tenacity that they covered Trump? Or are the feelings of their far-left readers more important? Finally, will Maggie Haberman and her colleagues acknowledge that their faulty Trump-Russia collusion reporting makes them unworthy of a Pulitzer Prize? And do they plan on returning it? And one last bonus question. Does the New York Times believe that Joe Biden might be struggling cognitively? And if so, do they plan to investigate? I think it's a tremendous article by Sean Hannity. All questions that need answers. But of course they won't. We, we know the answer to all these questions. The New York Times are partisan hacks. How anyone can read the Times and say, oh yeah, these people are credible is beyond me. They're partisan leftist Democratic hacks who don't care about the truth. They only care about making sure Democrats are in power and ensuring that they stay in power. It's a joke. There's no, there's no journalists left at the New York Slimes. We have 1,307 days to go in the failure and the disaster that is the Biden administration.